Focus on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. Well, it's been a week of shouting and conflict in the international political scene. Boris Johnson has resigned as a member of parliament and on the way out, he's certainly been loudly insisting that he's the victim of a kangaroo court mentality. Last week, he spoke to MPs and said, I am not alone in thinking that there is a witch hunt underway to take revenge for Brexit and ultimately to reverse the 2016 referendum result. And then speaking of revenge, here in America, former President Donald Trump arrived in Miami last Tuesday, where he appeared in court facing 37 criminal charges relating to his handling of classified documents at his Florida Mar-a-Lago estate after leaving office. Trump is the first former US president to face federal charges. On Monday, he threatened to appoint a special prosecutor to specifically target President Biden and his family if he's re-elected to the White House. Trump's post on Truth Social represents a brazen pledge to use the leverage of government to target political rivals. He said, I will appoint a real special prosecutor to go after the most corrupt president in the history of the USA, Joe Biden, and the entire Biden crime family, and all others involved with the destruction of our elections, borders, and country itself. Man, the chap really does need to speak his mind. And there's been a lot of shouting in other contexts as well. Away from the political scene, the rift within our own royal family continues. Prince Harry's 55-page witness statement released last week included his opinion that the state of the press and government in England was at rock bottom, which violates the constitutional requirement for the royal family to be above politics, according to the Sunday Times. So, what does all this conflict have to do with us? Well, sometimes we Christians don't do conflict very well. And when we fall out, some of us resort to insisting that God himself shares our opinion and is most certainly on our side. Conflict, of course, is normal and healthy in all relationships, including church relationships. But how can we learn to navigate conflict and disagree well? And there are some churches where any kind of dissent or disagreement is frowned upon and elephants stay in the room. So let's think about conflict just for a while. Political developments can often provide the world with an interesting cast of characters from US presidents to UK prime ministers to others in leadership around the world. The way that conflict is handed these days is often a worry. It's too easy for individuals to fire off a tweet labeling prominent figures as stupid or sleazy or a bimbo. One UK prime minister, all right, it was Boris, famously called his colleagues in the London Assembly great supine plotoplasmic invertebrate jellies, which although it was creative, it was also rather acerbic. The political arena has always been a place of fierce argument and fast retort. Sir Winston Churchill, rightly celebrated for oratory that galvanised the nation at war, knew the power of an acidic sentence. He said, I wish Stanley Baldwin no ill, but it would have been much better if he had never lived, 
He said that back in 1946. Churchill called Labour leader Ramsay MacDonald a sheep in sheep's clothing, and then he referred to Prime Minister Clement Attlee with the withering words, there is less there than meets the eye. Sometimes vitriol can worryingly plummet to new depths. Instead of debating issues, leaders resort to infantile barbs and personal attacks. Sadly, when adults in high office model bullying behaviour, young people may well feel justified in doing the same. All of this talk of conflict leads us to the challenge that, as I mentioned earlier, we Christians need to beware too. As I've often said, a favoured weapon of choice among believers is the labelling machine. A Christian leader raises genuine concerns and questions about a topic and is quickly tagged as a heretic. Now, there is such a thing as heresy and truth must be guarded, but it's the speed at which the label is applied that's so worrying. Those in leadership can be guilty of labelling too, especially the more insecure types. As a young pastor, I was irritated by a lady in our church who fearlessly confronted the male-dominated model of leadership that we had. I quickly tagged her as divisive and viewed her as an interloper who had threatened our unity. However, she was perfectly within her rights to raise her concerns, and I'm grateful that she accepted my apology some years later. There is a genre of name-calling which is particularly devastating because the person attacked has no means of defence. A preacher is dubbed as unsound, their teaching is not deep enough, an entirely subjective accusation because there's no way to scientifically measure just what is deep enough. Exuberant worship is sniffily dismissed as frothy. Healthy discussion and disagreement become impossible while dissidents are tagged as traitors. Authentic unity is not the absence of conflict. If you're in a church where everyone always agrees on everything and dissenters are quickly shuffled to the edges, then run for your life because the doctrine may be orthodox, but you might be unwittingly trapped in something that has the structure of a cult. Not only is all this name-calling hurtful, but ironically, it doesn't help us to get to the truth. When we lob verbal grenades at each other and then duck in the trenches with others who share our opinions and prejudices, we don't grow. Name-calling is lazy. It's easy to smear and demean those who disagree with us with a well-aimed insult rather than rigorously engage with their argument and experience the discomfort of healthy conflict. So, next time we find ourselves in a cauldron of conflict, let's play nicely and disagree agreeably. Sometimes we witness conflict in the most unusual places, like during a train journey. It made a refreshing change from the computerized announcements that are broadcast on trains and stations these days. The Eastbourne train is delayed by 10 minutes. I'm very sorry for any inconvenience this causes to your journey. Right. Sincerity is suspect in a robotic pre-recorded announcement, so the sorrow really sounds like a sham. When a computer is sorry, does it pause for a moment of grief, locking its own keyboard out of respect? But when it's very sorry, does it self-destruct its own hard drive? Mechanized sorrow is unconvincing. 
So there I was, parked in front of my laptop on yet another train, and the very live and spontaneous announcement that the guard made was surprising and refreshing. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your guard speaking. This train is delayed. I've got no idea why. I could make up an excuse for you, but I won't bother. It's just delayed, and that's that. I'll let you know about any more news. In the meantime, I'm very sorry. I smiled at his uncluttered candour, but then, just a minute later, the train PA crackled again. This time, it was the driver, who was obviously miffed at his colleague's frankness. He blew into the microphone like an amateur Elvis impersonator taking to the stage, and he spoke with the odd staccato of a club singer. Uh, ladies and uh, gentlemen, this is your driver speaking, uh, and following the uh, recent announcement made by my colleague, who is uh, usually very professional, allow me uh, to provide you with the uh, reasons for the delay to this service. He then gave a lengthy explanation for the tardiness and said he was sure that his highly experienced guard, who was also a long-serving staff member, would respond helpfully to any further inquiries about the service. The tension between these two chaps was palpable. They were having a very public conflict over the PA. Incredibly, within seconds, the guard came back on to make a further response. This train journey was getting interesting and could possibly lead to a world war. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your guard here. My colleague, the driver, is quite right, and I am delighted to confirm that this train will arrive at its various destinations eventually. I laughed out loud and most of the courage joined me, but then I realised that I had just witnessed an escalation of conflict. Instead of having a quiet word in private about appropriate procedures and announcement protocol, these two railroad gladiators were taking their irritations with each other out into a very public arena, watching others quarrelling. It's always uncomfortable, isn't it? I've experienced a few horrid moments when married couples have sniped at each other in front of me during a shared meal or perhaps during a car journey. Awkwardness shrouds what moments earlier was a happy event. I find myself staring woodenly at my food as if utterly fascinated by it or looking out of the window studying a perfectly ordinary tree just hoping, just praying that they'll call time on their squabble. And it's even worse if they try to draw me in and take sides in their conflict. What do you think, Jeff? I think you should wait until you're alone and I'm out of earshot and then you can sort yourselves out. That's what I think. Sometimes churches are shattered because we turn personal conflicts into church-wide feuds. There's plenty to get upset about in church, be it our pew preference, the woman with the spaceship-sized hat which eclipses the sun, the vicar's pompous preaching voice, or that irritating person with whom we simply have a personality clash. We can turn small grievances into public vendettas, drag other people into the ring, and end up with an unseemly congregational fistfight. Groups form into indignant, self-righteous gangs who want to score points and win the conflict rather than resolve the issue peaceably. Before long, seismic cracks appear and churches fracture and divide, sometimes, sometimes irreparably. 
People become vicariously offended for each other. The original contentious issue fades into insignificance, and the fight itself becomes the focus, which makes resolution difficult, if not impossible. Anger is not a laser-directed missile that zeroes in on one target. It's a bomb that can create collateral havoc everywhere. I've seen the carnage all too often. So when we're irritated in our friendships, marriages, or churches, and when it comes to church, if we've been part of one for more than six months and nothing's upset us yet, we're probably clinically dead. Before we reach for the proverbial microphone, let's pause. Perhaps this can all be sorted out quietly, without a public spat. And although it might take great grace, epic patience, and a willingness to forgive for the 70th time, Perhaps we will arrive at a beautiful destination, a place of peace and reconciliation. Although, as that guard cheerfully reminded us, these things might take time, but we might get there eventually. As we've been thinking about conflict this evening, let's just be aware that in life, conflict will come. It's part of being in healthy relationships, in church, in friendship, in marriage. It's not that we should avoid conflict, but rather we should embrace it, seeking not to win, but rather to come to a place of peace, grace, and perhaps reconciliation. If conflict comes our way this week, let's pause on the shouting, embrace the praying, and express ourselves in a Christ-like manner. See you next week. Lucas on Life.